How is everyone today? That's good. Okay, so our God, our God is the God of, um, of universes and, well, our universe, universes if there's more than one, galaxies and the subatomic world and earthquakes and lightning and gravity and all these massive things, supermassive black holes and distances in space that take light millions of years to travel between. But this is our God. Our God is the God of these things. And does it, does it strike as really crazy and completely blow your mind that this God inclines his ear to us to listen to us? Is that weird? Does that blow your mind? I see a few nods out there, but if it did blow our mind, and, and our mind was always consumed with that knowledge, then wouldn't we be um, in, incessantly uh, thriving on the communion available to us with that God? Exactly. But many of us, myself included, we live as slugs in our prayer life. We are reluctant and we're slow and reactive, pray about things when problems come rather than going into our problems, um, praying with a full head of steam. And I've been thinking about this. And is it because deep down in ourselves, in those real private, dark places that we don't want anyone to see or even know about or pretend that we even have, down in those places, do we actually think that prayer does anything? Or do we have just, is it just stuck into us that um, God's going to do whatever He wants, whenever He wants anyway? Um, why should I pray? What difference will it make? Now, for, for whatever reason, if that's your view, if, if, if you harbour that deep down, then I hope that when we finish this morning and we finish looking at what prayer has achieved and what it will achieve, that we can, that, that, that shameful idea can be completely blown away, the shutters can be flung right up, the light can blast in there and we can go out of here with a fresh view on what prayer does, what prayer is, um, that we can go out of here with an unhindered, uh, open, honest, oozing out of our pores kind of prayer dri um, life driven by the ultimate desire to see God's kingdom come about in this world and to see His name glorified above all else. So that's how our life will change if we take on board today. So that's how things are going to be different if we are willing for God's Word to cut things out of our lives and affect us. So, before we get moving, I want us to start um, by praying a prayer, and we all know this prayer. I went to a Lutheran primary school, and we said this like every day before school, so I know this really well, plus some additional things that they added into some creed book or something, I'm not sure. But I know this prayer really well, and you do too, and I think it's fitting that we should start um, by praying this and considering this prayer in light of what we're going to talk about in Revelation coming up. Okay, so 
bow your heads, close your eyes, think about these words and, and pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So last week we looked at the example of the golden altar in the tabernacle and how it was set back in time to reflect forward into time to show us uh, it was a simple earthly copy of a complex, glorious, golden um, altar in heaven. Okay? And we understood that our prayers are on this altar rising before God as incense smoke. And our prayers are fragrance in God's presence. God owns them. They belong in His presence. Except that wasn't the full story. There was only half the picture. This week we're going to look at what we thought was just fragrance in God's presence. Um, It's actually more than that. We're going to look at these prayers as a cog in God's war machine. We're going to look at what the idea is behind the storing up of these prayers in the golden bowls, in light, and and then what the idea is behind them then being offered on the golden altar in light of these first four trumpet judgments. So let's read our Revelation chapter in full this week, not just our first five verses, and then we'll start digging it open. Revelation chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet And there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked. I heard an eagle 
crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. All the blasts of the other trumpet, at the blasts of the other trumpets, that the three angels are about to blow. Now, in this, these pictures here of seemingly natural catastrophe, they are that notice the whole world, none of the world, it affects the whole world, none of the world is exempt. The, from the land to the sea to the fresh water to the light. Everything is impacted. All these things, these four things are impacted and they groan under the first four trumpet judgments. And it's peculiar how John's vision has played out that there is this bowl of incense brought in, offered up before God, and then these judgments unfold. So, first question of our journey of discovery today, does God see and hear my prayer straight away? Or is there some sort of heavenly sorting room where our prayers go up to and they're sifted and sorted and sent away and packaged up for future use. Now, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But how else do we deal with these clear images of bowls of incense, bowls of prayers, prayers being stored up on an altar, etc.? If, if I pray a prayer in all sincerity and desire to see God's will outworked through it, then I expect that it's answered or if not straight away, then it's answered in some roundabout way, which maybe I'm not privy to, but still answered somehow. So, to answer this question, all right, we're going to go for, we're going to look at two instances through the Bible of prayers and how they seem to be handled in different ways. Um, and then we'll look at, with a bit of an analogy, how they come together into this storage bowls idea. So, we might jump around a little bit, we might leave a few dots all over the place, but promise at the end we'll come back and we'll draw and draw, connect all the dots and hopefully it's this big, beautiful picture made of straight lines. So, first, let's come over with me to Daniel chapter 9. And we'll start reading from verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is Daniel speaking after he's finished praying. Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel... I have come now to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Okay, great. So it is true. As soon as we pray, our prayers are heard. The Lord heard Daniel's prayers from the very beginning of his pleas for mercy. So, they're heard immediately, and then what? Does action take place immediately? What's, how does this happen? Let's turn over the page 
just over the page in my Bible, maybe it's opposite on yours, or to Daniel chapter 10, and we'll read from verse 11. And this is where Daniel sees the, the man next, standing next to the, when he's standing next to the river. We'll read from verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So this heavenly messenger appears to Daniel and confirms that as soon as Daniel had set his heart toward the Lord and he had humbled himself, that his prayers were heard. Here's that humbling thing again, this role that humility plays in prayers again. We discussed that last week. Now, immediately when we pray from a confessed heart in all the humility that we can, that we can muster up, God hears our prayers there is no waiting. He hears them immediately. His ear is inclined to us and He hears the very moment that we cry out our voice to Him or we open our mind to Him. However, there is another element to this story that this heavenly messenger tips Daniel off about. There's a raging heavenly war going on in those realms that we can't see. And this, me this messenger that comes to Daniel, like... Okay, like a messenger running between the frontline trenches of, of a war, of a bloody conflict here on earth, this interdimensional messenger, this angel, has been uh, delayed by a powerful, powerful enemy, the Prince of Persia. Now, this Prince of Persia is not the hero from that 1990s game of the same name. Yeah, that's right. All the millennials like, yeah, I love that game. But this Prince of Persia is a mighty demon that is standing over the civilization of Persia, which delays this messenger that has the word for Daniel and delays him, the word reaching Daniel, until Michael, one of the chief princes, the Archangel Michael, came to this messenger's aid. So, whilst it is God's Whilst it is true that God hears our prayers immediately and is over all the realms of angels and men and can bring about, and He's above all them, His will is to bring about His will. He chooses to bring it about through men and His messengers, angels. And this may be a reason for the, delayed in, the delay in answered prayer. I was thinking about a bit of an analogy like a family member, like a parent who might say to one, to an elder child, can you help your younger sibling tie their shoelaces or do something else tricky? Or myself as a dad, I might say to Atticus, uh, mate, can you go and get Torin from his room? It's time to come for dinner. Go tell Torin to come. And five minutes later, they're still not there. 
So I wonder what's going on. I walk out into the lounge room and here's Addy with just socks on, holding two dinosaurs, watching TV. Yeah, he's been waylaid. He's been delayed. The word didn't get to Torin. Torin's still in there reading books or doing whatever he does. That's the personality of our two kids summed up right there. But I love this idea, okay? This is God's children bringing to bringing God's will and God's works to others, their other brothers and sisters, and fulfilling God's will. So, to, to stay on this idea, let's come over into the New Testament for our other um, thing that we want to look at, our other account of how prayers are handled. And keeping in your mind this idea of God's children um, helping and working out with, uh, you know, to bring in the message to his other children, outworking God's will through them. We're going to read about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and we'll start at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. And said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, this Cornelius was the first Gentile that we know of convert. And his story is phenomenal in that he was giving much of his, no doubt, very healthy centurion wage to offerings. And he was praying continuously. Yeah, he's praying a lot. So so much so that the Bible says he's praying continuously. And does that sound familiar to us? Uh, Isn't that what we're meant to be doing, Christians? Yeah? Praying without ceasing. Anyway, Cornelius, he he has a vision where an angel of God firstly terrifies him, this no doubt hardened military man, He's a centurion after all. He's probably worked his way up through the military. And then when he's finished quaking, the angel says to him, your prayers and your arms, or just another word for charitable offerings, have ascended as a memorial um, before God. A memorial. I I think, without getting all all geeky, I think the Greek word is something like a, a reminder or something like that. I think that's the inflection that it gives. And... So this Cornelius, centurion dude, a filthy, uncircumcised Gentile from Jewish standards, by Jewish standards, was praying to God a lot and before he had received the Holy Spirit, his prayers were going up and making a memorial, a reminder of him in front of God. And this, similar, this is a similar story to the story of Lydia. Um, you remember her a, a few years, a few, a few years, a few chapters later in Acts, maybe a few years, I don't know. Um, and she was part of a women's prayer meeting, just hanging out, praying, before she received the Holy Spirit also, before Paul came along. And their prayers were ascending as a memorial before God. So what is a memorial? We, soon, what's the, we're almost end of February, soon it's going to be Anzac Day. And some of us will go to it um, dawn services or marches or uh, wreath-laying ceremonies or something and we'll stand before monuments or memorials for 
soldiers who have died for our country. Um, also, you go to a cemetery and there's memorials, uh, monuments, reminders of everyone that's died. It's your, it's your headstone, your gravestone. A reminder in my life, it's probably bills on the fridge, except my eyes have been affected by the fall and I look straight past those bad boys, hey. In fact, ex- <laughs> probably because put, I, I put very little value in them. In fact, they cost me value, especially then when I look past them and then I pay them late and they cost me late payment fees and then I hate them even more and it makes me look past them even more. So that's not a very good picture of a memorial. Um, a good memorial in my life is the picture wall in our house that Camille has done a fantastic job of collecting old frames, some very ornate, full of filigree and some just very plain and they're all painted white so they contrast in their, in their patterns and their shapes and sizes and they're set up higgledy-piggledy all over this wall and in each frame is a picture of us or our wedding or our kids or our parents. And so these people, the pictures are precious to me. The people, I put a lot of value on these people. These people in these pictures are precious to me and I value them and I remember them often as I walk past and am drawn to them and look at them. Now, use that fallible picture of what a memorial is and transpose it up into God's throne room and you can get a bit of an idea of a memorial of prayers building up. And as we know and we discussed last week, they are precious to God and He values them highly. I wonder what Cornelius' prayers were. He would have seen the Jews going about their thing in the temple and, and, and doing whatever and he saw that their God was real and he prayed to their God. I wonder if his prayers were, Lord, God, did he call him Lord? I'm not sure. God, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. I want to know who you are. And so, these prayers rising up and forming a a memorial of Cornelius in heaven. He's praying continuously. So, this pile would have been really gaining some momentum, yeah? This bowl is probably almost overflowing. Now, is it any wonder that God saw that memorial there, that building up of Cornelius, a Gentile praying to him and was moved to act on that? Because we know it was in line with God's will that Cornelius, as a Gentile, would be grafted in as a branch, grafted into that rootstock of the olive tree. It's Romans 11, yeah? We know it was in line with God's will to bring that about. So it makes sense to me that God would then send an angelic messenger to Cornelius. Okay, I'm going to make him the first. And then the next day, he sends one to Peter. And Peter, remember he, the, the messenger, and Peter sees that vision, that delicious um, meat smorgasbord coming down out of heaven. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Showing Peter that nothing's unclean anymore. The, the mess, this, this was a symbol for, to show Peter that the message of Jesus' death and his burial and Jesus rising from death. The gospel of Jesus was to come to now the Gentiles. All right? It's not just the Jews that know this anymore. It's for everyone, everyone. And that's us, guys. This is the wedding feast banquet, the doors being flung open to it and all the scumbags along the highway and the misfits. 
compelled to come in. Come in. That's this picture. This is us guys. We are welcomed into this kingdom through the blood of Jesus. So, to me, Cornelius is living proof of the Bible's words from Hebrews that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This man was rewarded by being grafted in as a Gentile to God's saving promises and a little bit of a bonus, he got to be the first. So, what are we to take then from the Bible's account of these two men? How, how, how do we consolidate them into oh, and, and their prayers and our understanding of how it worked? Uh, how, do we, how do we consolidate them so that we're able to understand it? God has commanded in His Word that, like, that we pray to Him in, in accordance with His will. Andrew, actually, um, the passage we read, read this morning had that theme running through it as well. So, and, and He's told us that here. So, if there is no requirement for prayers, then why has God commanded us to do it? He's able to go off and do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, without a single word being prayed. Yet, for some reason, He has chosen to bring about His will through the prayers of His people. Now, I just want us to think about, I just want to share with you a bit of an analogy um, that helps me understand it. I, I will not fully understand this concept, I know, on this side of death, but... I like to think, I will continue to think about it, I will continue to um, try and understand it better, I will continue to think up pictures that help me, help my mind understand it. So here's one that I just want to share with you and I hope it's useful. Who's seen one of those Japanese water clock things? I have to think of a new picture. They're a, bit of, they're a length of bamboo, you see them in garden shops, they're a length of bamboo They've got like a, a hollow part of the bamboo connecting in. They're on a pivot. They sit like this and they fill up with water and then they go pour the water out and then they tick back up. Okay, so there's water dripping in to one end or trickling in to one end. There's a pivot here somewhere along the length of the bamboo so that it normally sits on an angle and the angle that's up is collecting the water. So there's like a, a reservoir sort of thing at the top. Now, as the water drips into this container at the top, it gets heavier and heavier, and then eventually it reaches a tipping point on the whole clock and it pours the water out, tips down, pours the water out, and then it's empty then, and this, this counterbalance, my, where my elbow is, I'm flapping like a chook, um, this elbow, it, it tips back up, and then this part hits the base with a hollow clonk depending on the speed of the water, whatever coming out determines the time. A number of other factors determine the time as well, but imagine this. This is the, this is the picture, all right? So it's fill, 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 tip, pour, tip back up, clonk. Fill, 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 tip, pour, tip back up, clonk. Clonk, 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 over and over and over. And these water clocks can be built in many ways. They have different counterbalance weights down this end, um, they can have different pivot positions, they can be made in so many different ways that it would be possible to make a water clock that tips after one drip, or conversely, it would be possible to make a water clock that tips after collecting water for days before 
finally tipping and pouring out a lot of water. In a similar way, this is how I understand from these pictures that God has in His Word the outworking of His will in His plans. See, each particular event that He brings about has a, set specific, has a specific God-set number of prayers to bring it about, bring it to happen. God has set specific timing around the outworking of those plans. So, God's made the clock. Okay, He set where the pivot point was. He set how heavy the, the balance was. He set how many drips were going to come into it before it poured out. He knows all that. He made the whole thing. He could have one clock pour out that goes into a stream that's then collected by another bigger clock that then, after a long time, it finally dumps all its load and then it goes to a lot of other little clocks. Think of the whole apparatus set up that God made. The whole system is set up by Him, but it's our job, our job to pray for that will to be outworked. Drip, drip, trickle, stream, river. Where has God set the pivot point? Where will the tipping point be? How long, O Lord? Does that sound familiar, that prayer? How long, O Lord? How long will it be? Now, of course, it's not for us to know. Our minds would explode. Yes, literally, everything everywhere. If, it, if, if we were to understand that or try to understand that. that. But His will is at work for some reason through the prayers of His people. It's God's great desire to be outworked, that His will be outworked. And you can be assured that He will save, and because of this, you can be assured that He will savour and cherish and value and keep every single one of those prayers that you pray. They're all valuable. All the drips, they all add together. All the little pieces of incense, all building up. All these prayers of God's people coming together, bringing God's climactic clock ever closer to its tipping point and all of our prayers that uphold God's will and will and, and, and all of our prayers that are, are full of earnest desire to see Him glorified and all of our prayers full of yearning for His kingdom to abound throughout this earth, they're all heard and they're all seen, cherished by God and kept and they're building up for God to enact His master plan through. See, when these prayers are burnt and offered on the altar before God, all the emotion that was invested into them, all the love for the Lord that was invested into them, all the tears that were spilt through them for praying for family members and whatever, they are seen and they're heard and they're felt by the heart of our God. And He is glorified and He delights in answering them for His children. Take this verse, like in the verse in Matthew towards the end of the Beatitudes and it always just hits me as a dad, you know, like if you, you as a dad, you know, you're not going to give your kid a snake when he asks for a fish, you know. How much more is your Heavenly Father going to give good things? Good things to those who ask Him. So, following the boomerang back down now, we've been dropping dots everywhere, coming back to Revelation now, um, We'll connect a few of the dots soon. As I mentioned earlier, it's, it's peculiar how John's vision is laid out, yeah? 
there's this specific bowl of incense comes in and it's offered up and then all these judgments happen. Like, what happened? What, what, what brought that about? Four trumpets and then <laughs> the world cops are flogging. So there's a link here and we'll explore it soon. Just after I want to take a quick pass through our Revelation passage, through the rest of it and just talk about the, the, the four trumpets and to understand these um, judgments a little bit better. Now, if you came here today wanting specific definitions of what these exactly are, then I'm sorry, I'm not going to give it to you. I can, I can only just talk about them and um, offer my suggestions of what I think. I'm not, by no means saying they're concrete. I don't want to overinterpret it. But... Um, Depending on your eschatological view, which is just a big fancy crazy word to make me look smart, which is not happening anyway, it just means depending what your view is of the end times, depending how you view the end times, depending how that all, it all plays out, we A, won't be here on earth anyway, or B, will be supernaturally protected in some way, like the children of Israel were with the plagues of Egypt, or C, we will actually go through it and... When we see these things happen with our real eyes, they're going to make so much sense when we compare them to the symbolism here that my interpretations of them will be um, moot anyway. So, let's have a look. But we can take heart if we are in that C category, when we see these actually happening, if, if, that's, the pl if that's the plan, if that's where to go through and see these, we know the end is really, really near. And so, we can hold on to Jesus and we can pray, Lord... Just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. Jesus, he's coming soon. So let's have a look at our, our first four trumpets. Thanks, Mousy. So first trumpet brings fire, blood and hailstorm and destroys a third of the flora on the earth and all the grass. It would suck to be a groundskeeper on this day. It links very closely to that fire, the previous, previous um, understanding, the fire getting thrown down on the earth by this other angel. It links very closely to that. So, possibly it is something supernatural like that, like white hot coals, which are the burning pra prayers coming, I don't know. Um, maybe it's something supernatural like that. Maybe it is just a meteor shower with a solar flare or catastrophic global warming or something. And then the second trumpet announces a great burning mountain thrown into the sea. Now, and a third of the sea turns to blood. It kills a third of the fish in the sea. It sinks, half, uh, sinks a third of the ships. Maybe this is a mountain of fire, okay? Maybe it's a huge, um, excuse me, uh, volcano, or maybe it is a nuclear blast. You know how the, the, the mushroom clouds sort of goes up? It's this big mountain of fire or something Maybe that's the case as well. It leaks toxins into the sea, causing it to go red and killing, killing the fish. And the third trumpet then offers, ushers in a blazing star falling from heaven called Wormwood and it destroys a third of the rivers and the springs and effectively poisons a third of the, all the clean drinking water on the earth. And it kills many people. Now it could be a meteorite from outer space made of... Um, materials that are toxic to humans and when it crashes it might send up toxic dust clouds that then fall in rivers and pollute them. I don't know, but it's extremely calamitous. 
And then the fourth angel blows his trumpet in all natural light sources, so the sun and the moon, sorry, the sun and the stars, and all the reflective light sources that flow from them, like the moon, are all dimmed by a third. Now, could you imagine the depression that would break out in those days? Like, after these first three things have happened on the earth, not just these three things, but all the other seals that have already happened, and then these um, trumpets that have happened, could you imagine how depressive the place would be with only 66% of the light showing? There is, um, there is a disorder, I suppose, called seasonal affective disorder that is experienced by a lot of people in um, countries in the north and hemisphere around the Arctic Circle, um, otherwise known as SAD, and it's a mood disorder in which normal people who, normal, people who have a normal um, mental health state through the majority of the year experience depressive symptoms during the winter low-light months. So maybe that would play into it be a terrible time to be on the earth and then this diminished light will affect plant life, it will affect crops and solar power plants um, and many other things that mankind relies on and maybe it's brought about by God just turning the dimming switch down on the sun and the stars or maybe it's from the previous one, the wormwood um, meteorite smashing down and the dust clouds going everywhere and thickening the atmosphere with dust and only part of the light able to make its way through because of that, I'm not sure. But then leading into chapter 9, there are further woes pronounced and we could probably even say that they are worse to come. Further woes and I'll leave that up to next week. Um, I think it's Adrian's job next week to take us through those. Um, the fifth and sixth trumpet, the one following next week. But I want us to jump into the last trumpet, okay? Let's... let's forward to um, Revelation chapter 11. Now this is time to join up all those dots that we've dumped out all over the place, okay? Now remember that bowl of prayers that was brought forward by the other angel in heaven and offered on the golden altar, all right? The result of them being up, offered up to God brought about these trumpet judgments that we've discussed. So what were those prayers in that bowl? What what did the trumpet judgments achieve? So let's read the final trumpet in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom has come. God's kingdom has come. Let's read the elders' song of worship from 16, oh, 17. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, for those who fear your name both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So God's kingdom has come. 
to earth. The unrivaled, the unchallenged reign of God and His Christ begins now, begins on earth. So it seems to me that the prayers that were offered at the start of our chapter 8 in verses 3 and 4 is the final consummation of all all the prayers of God's people down through the ages that took our dear Lord's example in how to pray and always petition to the heavenly throne, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No wonder there was such a long silence in heaven of anticipation leading up to it. All the heavenly beings around the throne, they knew what that pile of incense was and what it was associated with, and all the, the, everything from God's people that was invested into it. And then when it's brought to the altar, if they breathe, if they breathe, they hold their breath. Otherwise, they stand there in silence. What is going to happen when God's golden when God's holy golden altar sets all those prayers alight, what is going to happen? What's going to come out of that? When all those hundreds of millions, if not billions of prayers are lit, what, what will this bring about? All those prayers that have been building all through the ages, prayed with great faith and hope, expectant hope, not just, I hope this happens, but as Raji brought us the other week, which is amazing, expectant hope, this is our hope. And this, that this final day will come. All those prayers prayed through sobbing and tears, all those prayers prayed through, prayed in persecuted churches, all those prayers prayed in prison cells, those prayers prayed... In Pakistan now, all those prayers prayed through screams in torture chambers and all those prayers prayed through blindness from gouged out eyes and all those prayers prayed through painful wails while being burnt alive and all those prayers prayed gurgling through slit throats. And they now roar in victory. Your kingdom has come. Your kingdom come. Then the angel scoops up all those burning prayers and hurls them to earth with all the wrath of God's, all of God's mighty wrath on sin. And the earth has, it's got no choice except for its tectonic plates to buckle and, and split apart. Oh, will I burn? Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you see the power of God for his people through prayer? Do you see it? Do you get it? All right. Do you see what he is moved to do when his people implore him from hearts ravenous for his will and his kingdom to just take hold of this earth? Do you see? Oh, Lord, we want your kingdom to come in its ultimate fullness here on this earth. Guys, will I burn? This is justice, okay? This is vengeance. This is the reply of God to the souls that cry out from under the martyr, the, the souls of all those martyrs under the altar who cry out, How long, O Lord? This is that. This is the day of vengeance from Isaiah 61. This is the day of vengeance of our Lord to comfort 
comfort those who mourn the state of this world. This is God's holy will impressed on this evil earth out of his perfect righteous judgment. Oh, Willowburn, this is your call to pray. For all things, building up memorials in heaven and to pray especially for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 